and welcome to There's Been a Murder by Ashley Gareth, where we discuss true crimes that have occurred in our home countries, mine being Scotland and Gareth being Ireland. And just as a disclaimer, there are themes of violence and of a sexual nature throughout this episode, so listener discretion is advised. Now, Ashley, you gave us a, a hint on who we are talking about today. I and did. And it's Bible John. It is Bible John, yes. And it feels a wee bit weird to be the the host today rather than the co-host, seeing as yes. you got two episodes in a row. Yes, I'm very much looking to two weeks off. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, you don't get two weeks off. You're back next week. Oh, am I? We're going back to the same old routine. Oh. Yep, sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> um... Yeah, so it seems a bit strange and we have had such amazing feedback on your episodes on Colin Howell, my yeah. bestie. So <laughs> I had to go out with the big guns and talk about Bible John to match you. Yes, I've I've very much enjoyed editing both both of those episodes purely for your commentary and the amount that I ended up on the cutting room floor. <laughs> there was a lot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, no pressure today with the commentary on Bible John. <laughs> I will I will try my best yes. to, to at least match you. And this may end up being a two-parter also. Oh, so I could get two weeks off. You could possibly get two weeks off. I right, haven't okay. decided. We're right. going to just go for it. And if I think we should end it at a certain point, then we will. But if not, you'll get the full whack this week. Right, okay. So what you're saying is the more I speak, the more chance I get two weeks off. Precisely. Right, okay. <laughs> That's an incentive. So, I would really question how Scottish somebody was if they hadn't heard of Bible John. But obviously, we have international listeners. Mm -hmm. So, Bible John is kind of the bogeyman of Glasgow, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I've I've heard of him, Mm -hmm. but I don't know the... a a lot of detail about what he actually done. Yeah. I just know that, like, his... His name. Well, it's a unique name, isn't it? Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, I truthfully didn't know a great deal about. I knew. I knew about Bible John, and I knew some of like the really big details of the case, but I didn't know everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know much about his victims either until I went on to research this. And it is a super popular um crime story to to talk about. Yeah. There's been various other podcasters that have covered it yeah um, but i didn't want to miss it out because it's such a huge part of glasgow of course, that it yes. should be covered in our podcast mm-hmm. i feel anyway um but did you know about bible john prior to us being together like i'd heard the name okay. but i i never fully was aware of what it was associated with because as right. you said it's a very unique name that yes. if you hear it mm-hmm you assume it's religious? Yeah, yeah. And uh, we'll get on to why that is the name also. Yes. Yeah. Now, in your research for this, mm-hmm. um, it, you said that like you were aware of it, but mm-hmm. there was a lot of stuff that you, 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 you weren't privy to until now. Yeah. Is there anything that like, like surprised you? Any, any details or what? Yes. Ooh, okay. So, um... I can tell this part because it's part of the research. So I was doing a lot of research and I found a really great article Mm -hmm. um, about the the three victims. Right. And the journalist had actually wrote about 
the the crimes at the time. Okay. And they've gone back in recent years and rewrote more about the victims because at the time of Bible John's murders, there was such a focus on him and not actually his victims. Okay. And a lot of his victims, sadly, were like described as like, um, uh, how do I put it? Like they were manhunters and, and, oh, and they liked a good right. time. They right, were party right, okay. girls. Right. They got a really bad rep and oh, the media okay. really slated them at the time, mm-hmm. which actually, you know, this journalist and from my, mm-hmm. uh, also from my research, they were normal working Glaswegian women like there, mm-hmm. there was nothing you know and even if they were those types of women that's totally cool as well mm-hmm. they didn't deserve to die yes, yeah. so yeah it was it was probably um seeing the misogyny of mm-hmm. the media at the time and the police investigation was was filled with misogyny as well it's really interesting that you've essentially got two perspectives from the same person yes uh, yes and I really loved that they actually came back and said, you know what, at that time, yeah. I didn't realise I was doing something wrong, but now I acknowledge it, I've grown and I'm going to fix it. Yes. Love that. Mm-hmm. They gave problems and solutions all in once. Oh, that's great. Yes, yes. So let's crack on because okay. we're already a few minutes in and yes, we haven't even touched on, on Bible John. You're doing this lovely to get out of <laughs> next week. <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. <laughs> so, Bible John, completely like, a notorious case in Glasgow. It actually seen the police interview over 7,000 people. 7,000? Yep. And the police took over 4,000 statements. So it is considered the biggest manhunt to occur in Scotland. Yeah, like, I'm just trying to think. There's like, what's the like population of Glasgow? Um, more than 7,000. Well, no, y- yes, yes, <laughs> I know. But, but, like, but like, even still, like, 7,000, that's a massive... Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. It sounds bigger than the investigation for Adrian Donahue. Mm-hmm. Yes, could be. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give the end and almost away at the very start. Right, okay. Because I'm privy that a lot of people kind of know this anyway. Right, right, okay. So it's no surprise. But to this day, Bible John has never been caught. Yes, and yes. I knew this. So there's been various suspects for the crimes committed by the alleged Bible John. Mm-hmm. And the name, I feel like we should just get that over and done with okay. first and then yep. go into the story. Yeah, makes sense. So it was given to the perpetrator. It was given to the perpetrator after he was allegedly talking Bible scripture. Why can I not say that today? Scripture. Bi- scripture. Mm-hmm. To one of his victims and their sister in the back of a taxi. And his murders occurred between 1968 to 1969. So in a very short period. Yeah. So this is almost like a modern day Jack the Ripper. Yes. And what I will say is I do touch near the end on some theories of who it possibly could be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll reveal who, who I'll be talking about next time as well. Okay. Because I don't want to give too much information about one of the alleged people it could be okay because in their own right they have their own crimes right but okay i just wanted to give that give that over i feel like throughout this i'm just going to be like throwing out to being like well what if it's this what if it's that yeah <laughs> so similar to previous murders we've discussed such as angus sinclair and peter manuel manuel throwbacks the presence of bible john created 
fear and anguish throughout Glasgow. All his victims were strangled and left nearby to where they lived. And the most unique and somewhat strangely similarity of all, can you guess it? They had a Bible left beside them. No. Oh. <laughs> the three women were all on their periods at the time of their murders. Oh, I... Yeah. That's a very known fact. That's why I'm giving yeah, it okay. straight away. Yeah, yeah. But it's also a very yeah. unusual fact. Yeah, like, I'm just trying to process this, like, how... How do you know? Yeah. How do you tell? It's not like we walk around with signs on. Aye. Yeah. Like, coincidence? Not coincidence? Uh, what? What happened to three? Yeah. All victims. Yeah. Isn't that strange? Yeah, like, I'm just... I'm just trying to process this. That, I really like, want to take a picture of your face right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, I'm just like, hi. No. Uh, like yeah, like if it is a coincidence, massive coincidence. What I will say is that hygiene products back in the sixties mm-hmm. were not as discreet as they are nowadays. Mm-hmm. But by no means were they still very obvious. Yeah, like it's not so, like so. And I do also. I feel like. Nowadays, you know, as society, we're very open about uh, women being on their periods. Mm-hmm. But I don't think in the late 60s that was as big a thing. So it's not like he tried to, you know, get with one of them mm-hmm. and they went, sorry, n- n- not right now. You know, I'm... Yeah. yeah that like, kind of thing. I mean, like, yeah, like, you know, like, there's... I think it's changed in Scotland now that there's no longer like essentially a period tax. Yeah, there's not. Yeah, there is, and um, a lot of workplaces now provide free products in their bathrooms. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's, a, a, so it's a, very like yeah. it's just a norm, and it should be just a norm. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I don't think in the sixties well, yeah, yeah. or the seventies even that this would have been like so comfortable to talk about. It wasn't so open. So how how did he know that they were on their periods? Yeah. You can't sniff it out. No, like. Unless, like, I'm throwing out my own theories all, 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 already. Okay. Did he work in, like, a pharmacy or what that they all shopped in and they bought their products? Love that theory, but they didn't live near each other. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll score that one off. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> sorry. But give me all your theories yeah. if you if you feel like it. So, sorry, just before we move on, you mentioned... um. I similarities with Angus Sinclair mm-hmm. and Peter Manuel Manuel. Mm-hmm. Did Bible John happen near those? I can't remember when those occurred. So it was, and it might be oh, like throwing a curveball to you. I think. Oh, you've really put me on it now. <laughs> I can't remember when Angus Sinclair. Maybe one of our listeners could let us know what I say <laughs> yeah. about Angus Sinclair when I, when his crimes. I feel like his crimes were before Peter Manuel, because I do remember in Peter mm-hmm. Manuel's I said, oh, um, similar to Peter Manuel also. So I want to say they might have all kind of roughly happened around the same. Sorry, I'm going to tell a lie right now. Peter Manuel was the one of the last hanged men in Scotland in 63, I'm sure. Okay. So that's what it just, so he, so would have went Angus Sinclair, I think, Peter Manuel. Manuel. No, I'm lying again. <laughs> Peter Manuel was first because he got hung. Okay. Angus and Claire didn't. Okay. So I wonder if Angus and Claire and Peter Manuel were around the same time, but not the exact same time. Who knows? I don't like that you've asked me that question. <laughs> Dog me in it now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay, let's crack on. Um, so another similarity that I do also want to mention 
is that all the three women that were his victims had attended Glasgow's Barrowlands Ballroom on the night that they were murdered. So this was his hunting ground. Right, okay. So yeah. East End of Glasgow. Yes. But oh, they yes. didn't live in they didn't all live in East End. Right, okay, right. I'll I'll keep that in mind for any yep. future theories I'll have. And I know I've already spoke about it, but I did write this in and I feel like it's still important to portray it also throughout our episode. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to add in that throughout my research, reportings of the murders at the time were often footnotes in the stories and that the three women were deceived by detectives at the time as highly promiscuous, fond of male company and that they enjoyed the attention of males. So another theory and we'll throw it right there. Do you think that because the police had the views, Mm -hmm. these views of the victims Mm -hmm. that they maybe didn't try as hard in in their investigations that they were biased that well they they had a level of bias that's you know possibly i mean it's difficult to say when they're describing their three victims like that then you do think how can we trust these people to catch the killer Mm mm-hmm but then at the very start, I mentioned how they interviewed over 7,000 people. Yeah. So there was a huge mm-hmm. effort out there. So I don't know. I don't know. I think the late 60s was a really difficult time, mm-hmm. especially for women. Yeah. So I don't know. I can't, I can't comment. We weren't there, so no. I, I don't know. Uh, and as I mentioned before, more recently, journalists have tried to correct these errors and give the free women the respect and dignity that they deserve. That's good. Which I totally agree with. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to the crimes. Okay. Patricia Charlotte Wilson was a 25-year-old auxiliary nurse who had recently moved back home with her parents to a flat in Langside. Patricia was the daughter of John Wilson, a Royal Air Force electronics engineer, and his wife, Patricia. So, same name. Okay. As a young child, Patricia lived in Gloucestershire, so she wasn't originally from Glasgow. Okay. And in the August of 1953, Patricia and her mother boarded the P&O Troopship Empire to Singapore. Oh, okay. This was to reside with John, who had been stationed over there. And once returning from Singapore, the family moved to a large house in Glasgow. Okay. At the age of 19, Patricia married Alexander Docker, who was a senior aircraft man in the RAF. Due to Alexander's job, the Dockers moved to Cyprus. A move like this wasn't anything new for Patricia. Yes, yeah. She's probably used to it, especially moving to foreign countries, Mm -hmm. Singapore and Cyprus. Yeah, I'd be surprised if that was the only moves that Mm -hmm. she made. Maybe she even enjoyed it, like if you're used to that life, Mm -hmm. you know. And she could have even been like, you know, stayed in the same country but moved her bases. Yeah, yeah. The couple only had one son, Sandy. And Patricia was said to be a doting mother to him. Unfortunately, Patricia and Alexander's marriage became rocky whilst living in Cyprus, which resulted in a separation. Which was still a wee bit uncommon. Yeah. In those times. In April 1967... Patricia and Sandy moved back to Glasgow. Patricia worked nights in order to care for Sandy during the day 
and as a treat, Patricia would have one night off a week from work and childcare responsibilities to go to the dancing. Of the Batterlands. Well, ballroom dancing in Glasgow was huge. Oh, really? The, oh, massive. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Barrowlands was like the place. Of, yes, yeah. Um, to go. But there was various others. Oh, okay. Oh, didn't know that. On the 22nd of February, 1968, Patricia headed out to the dancing in a yellow knitted dress and a duffel coat with blue fur. So this was our one night off the of the week to go let her hair down mm-hmm. from being a mum. Being a nurse. Yes. Yeah. Or yeah. she didn't have to look after anyone. Exactly. So a little history lesson here. Okay. The Barrowlands Ballroom held an over 25s night every Thursday and every Saturday. These nights were often known as Grab a Granny Night. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, like, it, it's not often, like, especially these days, you would hear of an over 25s night anymore. I know. So these nights entrailed lots of drinking and some harmless flirting. But for other nights, it was a night to slip off the wedding ring and become another person. Oh, mm. but cheeky. For those going with the second option, a fake name was often used. <laughs> Our grannies were filth. I know. <laughs> like code names and all. Coming up with with with, with a fake identity. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, hi. oh hi, I'm 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 Sandra. I work in a bank. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> As Patricia headed out, she told her parents she was off to the majestic ballroom instead of the Barrowlands, and it's obvious why. Oh, okay, right, okay. She doesn't, so. Obviously, our parents probably know what the Barrowlands is like. Aye. The following morning, 67-year-old Morris Goodman, a cabinet maker, was taking a shortcut to work. As he was walking down a lane on Carmichael Place, he thought he'd seen a drunk person passed out by a garage door. However, this was in fact the lifeless body of Patricia, who was naked having been raped, beaten and strangled. Her handbag was also stolen. Patricia was found only yards away from her home in Langside. Oh, God. Yeah, so from the research that I got where her house was, there mm-hmm. was like a wee sort of um, footpath yeah. that took you to like a car park with garages. Okay. And that's where she was found. So, sorry, I'm going to say for our listeners, but it's for me as well. Where's Langside in comparison to, to Glasgow. Yeah. Um because like, like Battlefield, Mount Florida. Yeah. That kind of area. So like uh, the south. Ah, uh, like... okay. That's where I've heard <laughs> Lang side. India. <laughs> Two minutes away from our house, Gareth. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I'm like, I've heard Langside, but I cannot place it. <laughs> right. Right, okay. I know now. <laughs> Haven't seen the body. Morris nudged it with his foot. He recalled it being like a block of ice. Realising the sinister reality, Morris raced home to phone the police. In shock and disbelief, Morris became fumbled and he recounted to the police that the body was in fact male. Oh, so, so yeah, he was... Shocked. So, so much in shock that like he completely misgendered. Yeah, shock, probably your adrenaline's going crazy. Yeah. 
Assuming it was the body of a homeless person who had died due to exposure, the police didn't seem overly concerned. Detectives didn't arrive until 8am where they realised the shock in reality. <clears throat> so we're not off to a great start. I was going to say, is this going to be another one where like there's a lot of like feelings or as you know, like and things when didn't... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Some believe that Patricia was strangled with her stockings. However, detectives suspected she'd been strangled with a belt due to the bruisings on her neck. The police interviewed local residents in the area. Many failed to hear or see anything. However, one woman reported to hearing a woman shout, Leave me alone. Naturally, the news of a body being found in the Langside area spread through Glasgow. Staff in the Victoria Infirmary wondered if the deceased was a patient who had wandered out of the hospital and died due to exposure. And now that I know where, where Langside is, I know exactly what hospital you're talking about. Amazing. <laughs> Glad we're on the same page yes, here. <laughs> I, I do have a geography of Glasgow. <laughs> You've only been here, what, six years? <laughs> Coming up to six years. Yeah. <laughs> Two of Patricia's colleagues identified the body, but due to severe facial bruising, they didn't recognise the deceased as Patricia. So how did they recognise the body? It wasn't until an ambulance driver at the hospital saw the body of Patricia and recognised that it was her. And then the police could finally alert her family. So her family's waiting for her to come home. Yeah. She hasn't come home. Would they would they assume that going, oh, she's went home with somebody or like with friends? I mean, she didn't. She was still. Well, she was separated, obviously, yeah. from her husband. Mm-hmm. But I don't think she gave the impression that you know she like that that for her to go home with somebody else yeah. wasn't the norm. And she didn't go to the dancing with anybody else. Oh, she just went herself. She went herself. Oh. Yeah. Oh wow. So, unless she went home with like a guy. Yeah. Yeah. Then, you know, but no, I don't think that was like her norm. At all. Yeah, yeah, I would find it strange if it was. Yeah. But I just thought I'd ask. Patricia's parents had been worried about Patricia's absence. But they chose not to panic and that they assumed she would be home shortly. However, after reading about an, an unidentified woman, John, Patricia's father, became more concerned. To rule out any worry... He went to the local police station with a picture of Patricia in hand. John was immediately taken to the morgue to identify his daughter. That's horrendous. Mm-hmm. I was like, I know. I think like a lot of people like go to the uh, worst case like anyway. Mm-hmm. So, so hearing of a missing woman, your daughter's not home. Like yeah, there's. But to then that be realised for you that that is the case. I know. It doesn't bear thinking of. No. A few days after the death of his mother, Sandy, who now goes by Alex, was moved away from Glasgow to live in the south of England with his father and his new partner. Patricia's parents alerted the police to her whereabouts the previous night. However, as discussed previously, 
Patricia had told her parents that she was going to the majestic ballroom mm-hmm. instead of the Badlands. Yeah. Unaware of the change in Patricia's plans, the police focused their attention on the majestic ballroom. A young man came forward to say that he had danced with Patricia that night eh, of the murder at the Majestic. However, a few days later, he came back to the police to explain he'd gotten his dates wrong. And it would become weeks until the police would become aware of Patricia's actual whereabouts that night. Because how would they know? Yeah. So, yeah. like, CCTV was huge. Yeah. I was about to say, it's like when, when someone came forward to say that they danced, I was like, oh, either... They're coming forward. Mm-hmm. I just say, going, I danced with her that night, but it was actually in the Barrowlands, or yeah, they just. Plus, if wanted... you're drinking, you can forget all yeah. the details. Yeah, I was like, was like, or did they just want to be like, mm-hmm. like one of these weird people who want to be involved when they're not? Get them. Yeah, it's like when they're not. Police searched high and low for Patricia's belongings. They never found any of her clothes, but her bracelet and her handbag were found along the river cart. Witnesses from the Badlands that night told the police how Patricia had danced with several men. A red-haired man was mentioned in various statements. But in Scotland, how uncommon is it to see a red-haired man in a nightclub? Yeah. No, (laughs) it's not that uncommon. (laughs) It's the same same back home. (laughs) So we're going to look at our second victim. Right, okay. Okay. Jemima Ramsey Gibson MacDonald. That's a mouthful. That's why I say it slowly. Uh, she was 32 and she was the second victim of Bible John. Jemima was a single, unmarried mother of three. Elizabeth, who was 12, Andrew, who was nine, and Alan, who was seven. Okay. And Elizabeth had a different dad to Andrew and Alan. Right, okay. I'm just putting that out there just now because as we go on... um throughout the story you'll see why right right, okay i'll bear bear that in mind jemima was extremely close to her family in fact she lived across the landing from her sister margaret in mckeith street and it was said that jemima loved to attend the ballrooms throughout glasgow her favorite of course being badlands of course 18 months after the murder of patricia docker on the 16th of august 1969 Patricia, eh, Patricia, Jemima dropped her three children off with her sister Margaret and headed to her favourite gaunt. As many of Jemima's friends were already married, she would often attend the ballrooms solo. I'm surprised this is a this is a trend almost. I know. Because I wouldn't... But it doesn't stay a trend. Yeah, yeah. When Jemima didn't turn up to her sister's the following mon- eh, morning to collect the children... Worry was in the air. Margaret went looking for her sister. Whilst out on the streets, she heard children talking about a body in an abandoned tenement building down the road. Margaret wasn't initially worried about this news as she put it down to kids and their imaginations. The abandoned tenement was known to house prostitutes and their clients. The following day, with still no sign of Jemima, Margaret decided to go and check the abandoned building. There, Jemima's lifeless body was found in a bed recess on the ground floor. Similar to Patricia Docker, Jemima had been raped, beaten and strangled to death. Her clothes had been torn off her in a frenzy and was left at the scene. This time, the only thing missing was her handbag. 
and during the autopsy it was determined that Jemima was also on her period and there were sanitary products found at the scene and I've just remembered I forgot to talk about Patricia I didn't obviously I've not yeah. added it in but Patricia um was also identified with her autopsy as having her period yeah and there was hygiene products um in the area okay ne- nearby her body right just for reference right okay Detectives discovered that prior to going to the Badlands, Jemima visited Betty's bar. Witnesses recalled Jemima enjoying drinks and chatting to a red-haired man. Okay, so we're seeing a theme. Mm. Statements from those at the Badlands that night also mentioned Jemima dancing with this red-haired man before leaving with him. Through statements gathered by the police... It was determined that this red-haired man was between 25 and 35 years old and around six foot two. He was dressed smartly and almost looked too polished compared to other clientele. Okay. Also similar to Patricia's murder, there was a neighbour of Jemima's who heard screaming from the abandoned building the night of the attack but didn't think anything sinister of it. This happens quite a bit in like our episodes that... No. There's always, not always, but there's someone who's screaming out for help and no one goes to yeah to, inve- to, to investigate. But then again, we've also had the exact same conversation that sometimes it's a bloody fox. Yeah. You know, so it's a hard one. I know. So what happened to Jemima's children? Child welfare took Elizabeth to one residential care home and her brothers to another. Mm-hmm. Ten weeks after Jemima's murder, police connected the two murders of Patricia and Jemima together. So it was quite a while they yeah. didn't click. Well, I suppose, like, it would have been, what, over a, a year since? Yeah, exactly. So, like... So, yeah, I, th- that was the reason I was mentioning about because at first I thought hey, Jemima's children had been split because one was a girl and two were boys. Yeah. But it could Different. also be... And Jemima's sons actually ended up moving down south to stay with their dad. There oh, okay. wasn't much yes. on Elizabeth. But I will also add that in all the research that I did, it has always been recognised that the, the least amount was known about Jemima out of all the victims of Bible okay. John. She, there was not a great detail. Is of, there like a, a reason for that? I or? don't think so. Like, no, I just think she wasn't married. Mm-hmm. And obviously she had her sister and, and things, but I think like a lot of the time the press would speak to like your husband or like your parents, that kind of thing. And yeah. I think maybe they're just, that didn't happen a lot, perhaps. That's, that's a shame. After the link was put together between Jemima and Patricia's murders, Lennox Patterson, a, def- a deputy director of Glasgow School of Art, was enlisted to the investigation. Police needed a sketch of Bible John. This hadn't been done before in Scottish investigations, so the Crown Office in Edinburgh had to grant special permission before the sketch could begin. So this was like the first start of oh, like, wow. um, for, like um, that was really interesting. What oh. what they called sketch? You know the yeah, a sketch artist. Aye, this yeah. was the start of them. Oh, mm-hmm. I was wondering, when you said that you know when you started to talk about Lennox, mm-hmm. I was immediately immediately like oh first uh suspect and then you're like yeah oh, oh you thought yes oh, okay. yeah you get into this, no, like, no. there's like a deputy director of the art school and then you're like 
he's gonna draw a Bible John. I was like, oh, oh right, okay. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint, an anticlimax. Yeah, no. <laughs> the third and final murder happened on the thirtieth of October, nineteen sixty nine. Mm-hmm. So two months after Jemima's. Yes. Helen Puttock and her sister Jean, often known as Jeannie, were out having a night out together. Helen had only recently returned to Glasgow after living in Germany for some time. George, Helen's husband, had been stationed in Germany by the British Army, where he was a corporal. The Puttocks were temporarily living with Helen's mother in Errol Street in Scotston. George wasn't too happy about Helen going to the dancing. However, Helen and Jeannie were able to persuade John that this wasn't anything too serious. He relented and off the sisters went, whilst George cared for their two sons, David five and Michael, who was an infant. So they're obviously just getting settled back into Glasgow. Yeah. Sorry, going back to Jemima a bit, mm-hmm. Did was she like born and, and lived in Glasgow or did she travel a bit? No, I think Jemima was born um, in Glasgow. However, I think Jemima came, I think her family was like Slovakian or like there was okay. heritage yeah. of some mm-hmm. form. I was just wondering because like Patricia went to Singapore and Cyprus. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really sorry, I've, I've, I've forgotten their name already. Jemima? No. Helen. Helen. Um, in Germany. Yes. And I was moved back to Glasgow. So I was like, oh. You're thinking of another link? Yeah. But <laughs> I, there's absolutely nothing coming out the other end. <laughs> the two previous murders were still very present throughout Glasgow. Police notices and sketches were plastered throughout the city. However, Jeannie and Helen weren't overly worried about the crimes as they had no intention of splitting up on their night out. George was still apprehensive about the two sisters' night out so he gave them a 10 shilling note to ensure that they got to and from the ballroom safely. George decided that he would also wait up for his wife's return. By 2am, George became worried when Helen hadn't returned home. However, exhausted, George dozed off by 3am. I mean, like, what else was he going to really do? I know, I know. In the early hours of the following morning, Archibald McIntyre, a local neighbour, was out walking his dog. Tragically, he found the body of Helen Puttock's feet face down in the back garden of the flat in Errol Street. So, her flat? Mm-hmm. Or mum's flat. Ah, oh, well, yeah, sorry, mum's flat. They're always so close. I know, that's what's scary. Yeah. That's the link. They're uh-huh. right next to their houses. Like... Are All they... of them have been right outside their houses. Well, well Jemima was in a, a... So can I just also add, uh-huh. I'm pretty sure from my research, at least two articles that didn't include it, the the abandoned building that mm-hmm. Jemima was found in was the building next door to her flat. Oh, next door? Yeah. Oh, I, I assumed it, it was like nearby because yeah. she'd overheard the kids. Yeah. And, and like, I didn't think she'd, she would have like went that far. Yeah. There's no, but 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 yeah. So like, have the bodies been placed there then? I don't know. My fe- like my one of my theories is like he's managing to like somehow convince these women to take him home to their place, and it's almost like just as they get like near their front door, that almost fear 
a bit like um, when we discussed the murder of Laura and Donnelly. Like, yeah. your keys are in your hand, you're about to get into your safe place, and he strikes. Yeah. That's what it seems like. Yeah. I wonder I, if he gets a thrill off that. I would... I, I would imagine probably more with Helen. Like, he, he probably followed her. Let me continue. Right, right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, tragically... Archibald had found Helen Puttock in the back garden of mm-hmm. the flat in Arrow Street. Yeah. There were many similarities to the previous murders of Patricia and Jemima mm-hmm. and Helen's murder. Her clothing had been torn off her. She'd been beaten, raped and strangled with a pair of stockings. And there was bruising on her face and head. Her handbag had also been taken by the murderer. However, the contents of the bag had been thrown around the garden. Helen was also menstruating that night and her attacker had left her sanitary towel in between her armpit. I know your face. What? Yeah, like you like placed like just... it like, like so she would essentially be holding like, it in her armpit. armpit. Yeah. I, I mean, I, you can't argue with crazy, can we? Like, I, mean, I like, don't know why you did that. I'm still going to ask you why. I don't know. <laughs> you know. Why? <laughs> There was, also stri- there was also signs of a struggle between Helen and her attacker. Police discovered grass stains on Helen's feet indicating that she tried to flee and there was a bite mark on her wrist and semen found on her stockings. So was this like the, the strongest sort of like DNA evidence after so. yeah. finding it? Okay. Yeah. There was also a cuff link found near Helen's body However, it could never be identified as the attackers. Oh. Yeah, because it could... Yeah, was it just like a general one? Yeah. George Puttock woke the following morning to find his wife still hadn't returned home. Looking out the window, George noticed a police van parked on the street. George went out to investigate and whilst chatting to a police officer... He informed them that his wife hadn't returned home from the previous night. The officer asked what his wife was wearing that night and from George's answer, the officer became aware that he was inadvertently had found the next of kin. It's quite grim. Hi. Like Hi. concerned husband, like just, you know, asking the police something he thinks is so innocent and actually it's the yeah. worst day of his life yeah. is about to happen. Yeah. Through their investigation, the police discovered that Helen and her sister started their night at a local pub before heading to the Barrowland Ballroom at around 10pm. Both sisters met two men who were both named John. As it was an over 25s night, the sisters joked that the men's names were probably false, but they weren't fussed as they were just out for a night of fun. Mm-hmm. The foursome enjoyed their time together and as the night ended, the John that had been courting Jeannie mm-hmm. headed for the bus home. Whilst Jeannie, Helen and the red-haired John hailed a taxi. Jean was dropped off first in Knightswood before heading to Scotston with Helen. The taxi driver confirmed to the police that he dropped Helen and the red-haired man off on Edel Street at 1am. Another witness recalled seeing a well-dressed man with red hair with possible scratches and bruises on his face 
waiting for a bus in the area at 1.30am. Oh, so George was still awake? Yeah. Oh, oh that's even worse. Outside his house. Mm-hmm. But like... How did, we, how did he not hear? Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm that, you know... Yeah, that's why I think that Helen was placed there. Maybe. Because, and, 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 and like, I, 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 as you said, like, she struggled. Yeah. So, like, you would assume that she would have been vocal about it as well. Yeah. Whereas that's, you know, like, the attack ha- happened somewhere else. It provided a statement to the police about the elusive John. According to Jeannie, the red-haired John didn't reveal much about himself in the Badlands. However, once in the taxi, John told the girls that he lived in Castle Milk. He was unmarried and he worked in a lab. Jeannie believed that John had said his surname was either Sempleton, Templeton or Merson. Those are all, well, the Kindness. first two are similar. But they all have E and M in them. Oh, okay. And O. E-M-O. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> Jeannie believed that John was aged between 25 and 30, with red hair and blue slash grey eyes. John gave off an air of class. Although he spoke with a Glasgow accent, it was more cultured. So it's given me Glasgow uni vibes. I thought you were about to say culture. <laughs> or not in Ireland. No. <laughs> He discussed playing golf with the girls in the taxi and appeared slightly condescending and judgmental. So a bit of a wank. Aye. <laughs> Aye, just, yeah. I was, I was thinking it, you said it. I know you're probably thinking, why is this significant? Well, Jeannie carried on with her statement and explained that as John was giving it out with the pompous chat, things quickly took a weird turn. John went on to discuss his childhood, where he and his sister grew up in a strict religious household. However, John and his sister failed to make the expectations of their parents. John told the, to, John told the sisters about their parents' religious views and their opinions on those that attended dance halls, or as they described it, dens of iniquity. Oh, so this is like a... A motive then for him, maybe. Whereas you know, like it's it's something that he's had like in it, in his head, mm-hmm. like probably drilled into him. Yeah, maybe. John mentioned the New Testament and Moses throughout the chat, and when asked about New Year's Eve plans, John replied, "I don't dance at Hogmanay. I pray." Oh, he's such a fanny. <laughs> such a fanny. <laughs> Get off your high horse. <laughs> oh, he, uh, he's, he sounds like he's so fun. I know. I know. I could just imagine the sisters rolling their eyes at that point. Uh, just like... <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I'm just wondering, was he sat in the middle of what? Because, like, I'm just like... Who knows? But was this his chat up? Like, <laughs> really? I, 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 I mean, like... I assume he wasn't chatting about this before they got in the taxi. No, he was very quiet in the Badlands, apparently. Yeah. Okay. As the police searched for the killer, they interviewed many that attended the Badlands ballroom. There was many accounts, such as he was wearing a brown single-breasted free-button suit with lapels. His wristwatch had a leather strap, and he was wearing a short brown tweed overcoat. 
Some even said that this John kept referencing to the Bible, such as starting conversations with, well, the Bible says. However, police were suspicious if this was just drunk people reacting to the story um, released in the media. Mm, yeah, I suppose it could be. Police also went undercover in the Barrowland ballrooms to see if they could sniff out the, cu- the killer. 16 police in total went undercover, two who were women. The media dubbed these undercover police as the Marine Formation Dance Team. Right. 16 seems a bit excessive. I know. But, but, like, but like, I was going to ask, is it like, was it 16, like, all at the same time? Or I don't think did so. Did they take shifts, Yeah, I think it was kind of, like, sporadic. Joe yeah. Jackson, one of the detectives involved with the investigation, retorted with, I learned a pretty mean samba through being involved in this aspect of the investigation. This was his comeback to the, uh, the media. No one cares about your dance class. <laughs> and Constable Bruce Forsyth commented to a local newspaper, When this inquiry started, I could hardly dance a step. Now I get better every week. Not the point. <laughs> not the so point. So see what you said, did the police take this serious? I wonder. Uh, yeah, not the point. And see what you said, his name is Bruce. Bruce uh, Forsyth I was like see see if he comes off with the quote of it's it's nice to meet you to meet you nice is that his name is it Bruce Forsyth as well the wee guy that used to say that I think so I don't know it's very similar <laughs> if it's not I know it's Forsyth but I don't I can't remember his first name Bruce I, I think is it, it is. I don't know <laughs> we're, we're one of the big families if it's not <laughs> we already do oh yeah <laughs> You might be wondering about the other John that Jean had buddied up with. Oh, of course. Oh, yes. I completely forgot about him. <laughs> well, the police searched for this man and appeals in the media were placed. However, all the police had to go on was that John came from Castle Milk, where he lived with his dad and brother. He was a labourer and was attending night school. Although appeals went out for this key witness, no John ever came forward. So either... Like, I'm thinking either he's terrified that it's going to be mm. placed on him or that he was in on it. My theory is neither of them. My oh. theory is that he was married with kids and all that and he thought, well, I can't exactly go to the police because my wife will find out I was at an over 29's, grab a granny, over 25, sorry, grab a granny and she'll chuck me out. That is a completely valid reason as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, no, no, he... He lived with his dad. He said that. It doesn't oh. mean it was true. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I suppose. People lie, Gareth. <laughs> no. The world is You're beautiful. so innocent. The world is beautiful. <laughs> the police had a theory that Bible John was perhaps in the military due to the style of wristwatch that he wore and his short hairstyle. So this would maybe explain the lapse in between the murders. Was he stationed away in between Patricia's and then Jemima's and Helen's? Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask to be like, there was over a year between yeah. Patricia and Jemima, but then two months yeah. for Helen. Acceleration. Yeah. Over 400 barbers were interviewed regarding if any of their customers had red short hair. And during this era, as during this era, short hair wasn't especially common. Okay. And nearly 250 tailors were questioned regarding the style of suit Bible John had worn. 
and many churches were visited due to the connection with the religion mm-hmm. and the investigation. In the early 1970s, the Daily Record enlisted Dutch psychic Gerard Croset. I think that's his name. No idea. He predicted that Bible John lived in Govan. However, the police had already searched this area and believed that his prediction was just a waste of time. <laughs> After the murder of Helen Puttock, Bible John vanished. Theories included that he'd been posted away from Glasgow or he had been apprehended for another crime or simply he got married. But well, as we know from Angus Sinclair, marriage doesn't mean... I, I was going to say... He'll stop killing. Yeah, so what, he got married and just turned it all off? Who knows? Maybe he found the one. I... <laughs> the one that, like, has, like, broken this, like, religious drilling he got about, about dance halls? Who knows? In 1996, the body of John Irvin McInnes was exhumed. McInnes was a furniture salesman and former Scots guard. John had died in the 1980s through completion of suicide. DNA was taken from McInnes and compared to the DNA found in Helen's tights. However, due to the body's decomposition and degradation, sorry, I can't say it, of DNA. Don't laugh at me, guys. <laughs> I'm sorry, but for listeners, <laughs> we've just spent the last few minutes trying to coach Ashley. <laughs> you say it. Degradation. Of DNA sample. Okay. The test came back inconclusive. McInnes's dental remains were also compared to the bite mm-hmm. on Helen Puttock's wrist. Mm-hmm. However, there was insu- insufficient information about the bite mark to match it as positive. In 2004, it was discovered that a DNA sample nearly 30 years prior had an 80% match to the DNA found in Helen Puttock's murder, suggesting this person would be likely to be related to Bible John. Ooh. But never went anywhere. Oh, for fuck's sake. (laughs) (laughs) So, one of the biggest theories about Bible John is that, in fact, he's Peter Tobin. Who's Peter Tobin? Who we're talking about next time. Right, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'm not going, as I've just wrote here, now I'm not going to go into too much detail about Tobin because he's likely to appear in the podcast with his very own episode next week. (laughs) (laughs) However, without giving too much detail, Tobin moved from Glasgow to Brighton in 1969. He met his first wife at a dance hall and he was known to be a smart dresser and apparently Tobin would usually use a false identity at these dance halls as John Semple. Oh, 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 I'm intrigued. (laughs) I want to carry on. I want to know. However, there are a few differences between Bible John and Tobin. One being that Tobin was five foot six whereas John, a Bible John, was described to be six foot. He just wore heels. <laughs> and at the time of the murders, Tobin was in his early 20s, not 25 to 30. People can look older. They can, you do. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> However, to this day, nobody has ever been charged with the murders of Patricia Docker, 
Jemima Ramsey Gibson McDonald's and Helen Puttock. The end. Which is a really big shame. I know, it's heartbreaking. Like, for their families. But also remember how many women in Angus and Clare's episode Mm -hmm. were also never, you know, nobody was ever charged for their murders. So sadly, I think back then, and maybe even today, it's a, you know, it happens, it's a reality. Do you think anyone ever will be charged for them? They'll be dead now. Pretty much, I think. Or they'll well, be very old. Aye. They'll be in like their, their 60s or 70s. If they were, say they were 30 and 69, so... Uh, f- yeah, they'll probably be dead, yeah, Gareth. Aye, sorry. So I'm, it doesn't matter. I'm no. That, I'm, I'm thinking that the 60s is like 40 years ago. I'm sorry, I don't mean... When I've literally just said that, it, it doesn't matter. I do not mean it in that respect. Yeah. I mean it in the sense of the just they'll never be brought to justice Aye. don't get me wrong i think it would be a, a so interesting to know who it was and and how they got away with it for so long and all that but mm-hmm. like these you know the immediate family of these victims will probably also be dead yes okay yeah like patricia's son sandy mm-hmm. who goes by alex he is still alive mm-hmm. um but uh, does it give you closure after all this yeah. time who know i don't know mm-hmm but yeah. Yeah. The I'll famous agree. Bible John. Famous Bible John squeezed into one episode. <laughs> I feel out of breath. I was speaking that fast. <laughs> but no, yeah. No, yeah, like it's, it's really intriguing. Um, that like he's just never. It's a frustrating one though. Oh yeah. Because we don't know. Yeah, like, and I, I do imagine there's probably like a lot of things that I'm sure the police would look back and be like. If, you know, like, have we done this better or done yeah. it this way? Hindsight. Yeah, hindsight yeah. is twenty twenty. So who are you doing next week? <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm pro- <laughs> Sorry, I keep on saying, oh, we're doing Peter Tobin next week. No, that would be mine like yes. in, in two weeks' time because I've managed to squeeze this in one. Yes, yes, I haven't prepped for next week because I thought I was getting two weeks off. <laughs> well, you have time, it's fine. Right, it's okay. fine. But yeah, enjoyed that one. It was a, a lot to research, but it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I hope people have enjoyed our take on it. Yes, thank you very much for it. I enjoyed it. Um, If you want to give us some feedback or some recommendations, you can certainly follow us on Instagram and message us. Our Instagram username is what, Gareth? At there's been a murder underscore podcast. Amazing. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye. Bye.